In Monte Carlo, four assassins find themselves making an unthinkable sacrifice. Somebody write this. Hi, and welcome to Somebody Write This, where we use a random plot generator to give us an idea, and then we brainstorm how that could be a thing somebody might want to write. I'm Hannah. And I'm Bethany. As you may have noticed, Jenny is not with us today. She's not feeling well. So we went out and uh, connected with one of our previous guests, Bethany McGill. You may remember her from the story featuring the cult in New Orleans in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. And so, Bethany, thank you so much for, for joining us for today. Not a problem. Awesome. And we also, as always, have a uh, another guest to help us with our brainstorming. So here to help us today is Elliot Pepper. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, Elliot, I found you because I, I read one of your books, actually. So I'd love to hear, as a writer, as somebody who is who is producing stories, what kind of stories do you really find yourself motivated to tell? Are there genres or themes that seem to come back over and over again that you really love exploring? I think, you know, what's sort of interesting is I think about genre more as a reader than as a writer. Okay. And so when I'm, when I'm approaching a new story, mostly what I'm thinking about in my head is uh, effectively I go down like internet rabbit holes uh, about things I'm interested in. Um, mm. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, I, if, if something sparks my interest, because maybe I hear it on a podcast, I'll sort of unabashedly like just... Uh, read everything I can about it and squeeze sort of the last milk out of my curiosity. Um, Mm. And that winds up being the material that like any new story comes from. And when I approach telling a new story, I often have like many, many, many ideas. And there's sort of like, I don't know, if you were preparing a big meal in a kitchen, you could go about it by having like a really strict recipe that you're great at following. And uh, you can also go about it by just opening up the cupboard, seeing what you have, and trying to put those ingredients together to create something fun and delicious. And that's sort of what what I go for as a writer. And so I think that what's sort of funny is that although I don't think about genre as I'm writing, my books mm-hmm. all like they're they're all near future thrillers. They're sort of speculative mm-hmm. science fiction stories that riff on the present, sort of often a few years or decades out. And, and they're, they're, they're adventures, they're fast paced, they're page turners, but they also have a lot of ideas woven through them. But what's that, that like, I don't start thinking about the genre piece of mm-hmm. it until we're actually in uh, the design process. So like, right. after the manuscript is done, and we're like, working with the cover designer and the marketing team and all of that stuff to try to say, hey, how does this story fit into the larger culture? Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm fascinated that, you know, in a sense, you're doing all the research parts first. <laughs> and that's kind of what inspires that. How does that, you know, if you're writing about near future stuff, I, you know, you're probably looking at a lot of, you know, what is tech doing right now? And what does this mean for us? So how does that influence any research that you have to do in the course of writing the story? Mm. Yeah, you know, it's actually maybe less straightforward than listeners might think. So if I was listening to a writer talking about uh, writing near future science fiction, I might imagine uh-huh. that they spend a lot of their time reading, I don't know, like technology trend reports yeah, or sure. things like that. And like, I, I don't at all. It's more that I've actually always been a reader first and a writer mm-hmm. second. So I just, I read a lot. I read a lot of history. I find mm-hmm. that actually reading history is very helpful for writing stories set in 
plausible alternate realities, whether they're mm -hmm. in near future or anything else, simply because like historians have to come up with a theory of how the world changes. That's sort of what guides any history book, right? Of mm -hmm. like, like what's the story of the overall history book? It, you know, they're coming up with ways in which the world is shifting over many generations. So I find that that's actually really helpful for thinking about the the future, simply because you're you're sort of forced to confront how contingent the present is, right? Mm. That like people at different times have lived really, really different kinds of lives. So I, I, I actually read really widely, like history, poetry, yeah. a lot of fiction, and, and I read uh, quite a bit of like, of like science, but not necessarily like, you know, I don't know, futurist predicting technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's interesting. That makes total sense. Do you have any particular books that you've read or authors or anything that has like particularly inspired you or that you could say, well, if you like this, this story, you would probably like my kind of work? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean... Many fans of my novels love William Gibson's books, Neil mm. Stevenson's books, Hank Green, who, mm, who's okay. sort of a new writer, mm -hmm. but he has a lovely duology that came out a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you like reading the, those, those kinds of stories, sure. or if you like watching movies like The Matrix, mm -hmm. you're going to dig my, my novels. Okay, cool. With that, let's head on into our brainstorming. So as a reminder... Our plot that we're working with is, in Monte Carlo, four assassins find themselves making an unthinkable sacrifice. So I'm going to toss it to you first, Elliot. Like, what, what are the first questions or thoughts or comments that come to mind as you, as you see our, our plot we're working with? So the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that, like, one-sentence plot summary is, is that, okay, we, we, we clearly have this, like, this opening scene, like the world of Monte Carlo in front of us and like yeah. the, the four assassins entering it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that we could have that like big, like, like scene setting moment where they're all, they're all coming in. They're all in, you know, camouflage and pretending not to know each other. And they're starting to gamble with all the sort mm -hmm. of rich playboys and playgirls and play everyone at Monte Carlo. But really what I was looking for or what I'm looking at in that sentence that like gets me interested as a writer yeah. is what is that sacrifice, right? Like yeah, making an right. unthinkable sacrifice. And if the only thing we know about these four people is that they are assassins, mm -hmm. then I'm tempted to go in like a really weird direction with it where you're like, okay, that's the only thing we know about them is their job. So what if yeah. the sacrifice actually is that they have to give up being assassins? Like what if the oh. target, like they don't, they don't know who the target is and there are a bunch of weird clues leading them through the, the casino and it, you know, they, they have to overcome these obstacles along the way. And then whatever, they open a locked door and inside, like the target turns out to be like a golden retriever puppy. <laughs> and it's right. so cute. Right? Like they can't uh -huh. kill a puppy. Like that's just that goes against everything about like the honor of among thieves, right? So uh -huh. they actually have to like give up being assassins and they they wind up, you know, getting an apartment together and raising the puppy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I I like the idea of the of the sacrifice being, you know, them them giving this up. I don't know, like because that's that's interesting because it assumes that, you know, I 
I'm curious about the back lives of all four of these assassins. Right. Are th- mm. Do they all have like this strong, you know, emotional commitment to this? Uh, what drive? <laughs> what drives someone to be an assassin? What are the four different reasons they have for this? And what does the sacrifice mean for each of them? Right. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Like if they all had like a different you know, like a really different, unique reason. And the story reveals what they are as we're going through these sort of like action scenes with like back, you know, flashing back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Find themselves making is an interesting tense for this Mm. in that like it comes in in the the crux of the plot is in the center of they're making the sacrifice. And then I'm assuming Mm. we go on to the, the aftermath of it. And find themselves almost makes it sound like they didn't they didn't intend to like they, mm-hmm. you know, they they made the sacrifice and then they um, maybe didn't realize until later what it would mean or something like that. Yeah. No, I keep trying to think. My, yeah. My first question is, what is unthinkable for an assassin? Because like killing somebody, they're OK with that. So, yeah, is it either something like, yeah, businessy where like they're giving up their job or, like you know, a really big, you know, um, not a bonus, but the, the commission or something for doing this particular yeah. thing or is it yeah is it something like um deciding not to do the killing or do they have to sacrifice themselves somehow yeah it's, you have to figure out what would be unthinkable for an assassin and i feel like to get there we have to start with this feeling like a completely standard mission for them sure right yes. like that's that's where we get to that tense in the middle right where yeah like, okay yeah this is like this is a milk run like this is just this is what we do. We're pros, and then something just throws everything out of whack. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is important too. Do the four assassins know each other? Right. Do they all know they're there? Or are they questions. from four completely different corners of the world? Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. I wonder if all four assassins have been commissioned to assassinate each other. Oh. And they only discover through sort of fighting and, sh- and, and failing to kill each other that actually the owner of the Monte Carlo was, you know, was commissioned this and has been filming it through all of the security cameras in order to uh-huh. like make it, you know, viral YouTube series. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. What, what high stakes for a YouTube series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, it's intense reality TV right there. There's, yeah. there's something really interesting to me about having four characters who have nothing to do with each other. Like you could really dig into all, mm. like make them incredibly different, have incredibly different motivations, incredibly different methods and styles and ways of thinking about right. this. Mm. And mm-hmm. then they all come together. Right. To so sacrifice. like if the, and if the whole premise is about them, but like, I, the, I mean, like you could have a lot of action, but a lot of it could be like you know, ethical discussion based. Like if like, as you're seeing, you know, <laughs> the first person who like sees whatever they're going to say, you know, the first person who rebels against doing whatever they're sacrificing, whether it's not killing each other or not killing the golden retriever. Like, you know, you have the first people who are like, <laughs> I don't think I can do this. And you see them like gradually all talk each other out of it or whatever it is. Like you can like a 12 them. angry men kind of right. thing. Like it doesn't, you could still have an action <laughs> pack. You wouldn't have to have it just be discussions, but you could do a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun character mm. stuff between the four of them. As they're like reasoning with each other and trying to figure out, is this something we want to do or are we willing to sacrifice? Oh, yeah, I can see that. And uh, oh, okay. Here's another thing that you made me think of by pointing out that you sort of find themselves making. Yeah. Like, just yeah. like that, that sort of like interesting tense there. Right. That uh, what if we subvert the genre? Like this feels like a 
obviously a thriller. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that, you, right. You'd assume so it was. maybe they are four assassins, but they're not on a mission at all. They're all on independent vacations. Uh-huh. Right. And like they all just happen to sit at the same poker table. And oh so gosh. they're all just playing poker with each other. None of them knows the others are assassins. But then per your your, your comment a moment ago, mm-hmm. maybe the story is about like the character development oh. around the table oh. where through the conversation and the game of poker as the stakes are literally being raised, like, oh. like all of their like internal, like, you know, some of them, one of them super angsty about being an assassin and feels guilty about murdering all these people, you know, like they all have the, mm-hmm. their different take. Right. And like that comes out, but it's all camouflaged because none of them are like speaking the truth about, yeah. you know, like they, they don't know each other assassins and only obviously like at some crucial moment does, do they realize that they're mm-hmm. actually like all of them kill people for a living? Okay. Uh, so are you thinking, oh, this could fun. be like a, so you're thinking like the, like the main setting would be like at the table and you see like flashbacks for each of them to like see what they're thinking type of thing? Sure. Yeah. Like what was that Tarantino film? Inglorious Bastards, yeah. where the whole thing takes place like at a table. There's also a really amazing Dutch mystery novel. I think they might have made it into a movie too, though I haven't seen the movie. It's called The Dinner. Okay. It's like two married couples having dinner at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and the whole novel takes place over the course of their dinner, but there's this like it's sort of like gruesome mystery that they're all mm-hmm. involved with. But yeah, it like unfolds into backstory and then like re like folds back up into the dinner where like something is revealed among them around mm-hmm. the table and then unreels into backstory. So you could like do that with the assassins, right? Like mm. they're playing the game and like we yeah. don't, know, you know, someone makes a comment and then we see why they made that comment or, or whatever. Sure. I- I am a theater nerd, so I am a sucker for a good one room story. Yeah. Where you can like yeah. Where yeah. you can just have like this this tight taut script of these characters un- uh, revealing little bits of themselves through their dialogue. Yeah. Oh, that's really fast. I really love that that concept. Before we get too much further down the rabbit hole, which I really love, oh, yes. we're gonna get ourselves a title. Oh, right. Which may throw everything out the window. We'll have to see. Our title is ambiguous but workable our title is alice malkin oh so we have a name <laughs> I, I thought the title oh. was ambiguous but workable oh. i was like this is great oh. <laughs> what oh. an amazing that's title so alice malkin is our center here maybe that's maybe mm. that's their target maybe that's mm. who they sacrifice for because that mm. can't be back to i was like they're making the sacrifice but why what are they sacrificing in place of that is all four mm. of them are agree uh, will agree is important to sacrifice mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. and so maybe this is yeah i don't know if maybe this means- that's the name on the tag of the golden retriever puppy <laughs> yes yes <laughs> like really overwrought and so like i'm kind of intrigued by I, I love interwoven stories i love unknowingly interwoven stories mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. maybe alice malkin is the one they're supposed to kill and they all have completely different knowledge of and connection to this person. Okay. Mm. And so like one is, is a a strictly, you know, one is a a business thing because she, you know, owes money to their boss or something. Somebody Mm. else, like she knew her, uh, they knew her as, you know, as a, as a kid, (laughs) 
or something. Okay. And they and they found out something else about her. And I don't know. She could have like all these different threads that lead to all these different places and get her in trouble in all these different places. <laughs> and they're all here to kill Alice Malkin. Oh, but they're all like on independent. Yeah. So four different people yeah. have okay. put a price on Alice's head okay. for yeah. different reasons. Right. Oh, yeah. wow. Like her husband, husband oh, thinks she's cheating on him and her boss thinks that she's embezzling and- <laughs> Right. <laughs> or whatever. And she actually is doing crime, so somebody else is going after her for that. And- yeah. But she's really charming and kind. Yes. <laughs> so, that, so they don't So they decide her. not to. Yeah. <laughs> Make the unthinkable sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's interesting because since four of them all have these four independent missions, that means that there are going to be four times as many people coming after them if they fail on their mission. That's true. Oh, like, that's true. Like, if they all gang up and help each other not kill her, then they have to fight off all each other's higher-ups. I, I feel like if we're doing that, then, like, <laughs> Alice needs to be in Monte Carlo, obviously. That's why they've yeah, shown up right. there. But also... Every all four people who put contracts on Alice need to be there too. Oh yes, right. So like, yeah, like, and and I feel like that's that's probably like you know not super kosher. Like if you're an assassin, you don't really want like the your boss to like be backseat driving. Well, maybe that's what starts giving them like giving them pause, pause being like, yeah. why are our bosses here? This is there's something mm, going on that's bigger than sure. what we were told. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. You know, it's sort of interesting, like, w- how titles impact stories. Like, yeah. the minute I saw that the title was a name, I knew that that it couldn't be the name of one of the four assassins, right? Yeah, it's like, right, because then it that has makes them be... more important than the other three. Exactly, exactly. Right? Like, it's like, you, you sort of know they have to represent something else. It's, yeah, it's sort of fascinating. Well, part yeah. of me, if, if she's the target, and she's also the person that they decide not to kill, part of me feels like, she could be like a terribly corrupt person as everyone's trying to kill her, but I feel like it makes it it makes more sense to me ethically if they just decide not to kill her if she's like a really great person. I'm I'm I recently mm-hmm. rewatched the Christian Nolan <gasps> Batman's, so I'm wondering if she's one of those who's like getting up in these be- villains' business, and so they're all trying mm. to kill her, and then for the and then the four assassins realize that they that she should die or something. So we it's don't just, have to go this route, sure, but <laughs> it could be a time travel thing. Oh, she could be going to do something in the future. <laughs> okay, that is going to upset all these people, and ah. they have gone to the past and hired people to go out and get and and get rid of her. Oh, that could be interesting. So it could be even that they can't even mm. find that they can't find reasons for for what she, what they said she did. The reasons that they said she needed to be killed don't exist because they haven't happened yet. Interesting. Oh, I see. So if they're trying to find evidence for it. Yeah, it, yeah. So like if there. they start doubting and they start being like, uh, well, let me see. Uh, and then they're like, I don't think she did this. Ah, uh, okay. Like that could yeah. be like, you know, poking a hole in the in the boss's stories about mm. what to do. And we don't have to go that route. I was just like, oh. But yeah, yeah that's no, always that an option. <laughs> yeah, I sort of like what you said about how uh, like that she isn't evil, right? Like yeah. in a sense. So like if we think this through, right? Like, mm-hmm. Who hires assassins? I mean, like, not the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. <laughs> so if if the if the if the people hiring the assassins are, you know, effectively are antagonists ultimately, yeah. even though they start out as like employers. Right. Uh-huh. Then it would be really interesting if like Alice, rather than uh, having done bad things that mm. Or rather than like, I don't even know, like 
like it would be too on the nose if Alice was some kind of investigator, right? right. Like it would be just like, okay, that, that's like straight up. But I feel like it would be like really, it would be sort of like interesting if Alice was maybe like a, a life coach who was oh, trying to, who like specializes in trying to get like super villains to like change their ways, but <laughs> uh-huh. like almost like, but like Tony Robbins style, right? Just right. like sort of like silly, and but like it's inspirational and like definitely comes with like a juicing program. Um, uh-huh. And like the, and like the villains, like, maybe fell off the juicing bus, right? Like they couldn't uh-huh. like keep up with the program or they like resent the pressure. You know, they're making, yeah. they're starting to feel guilty and they're like, what oh. the hell? Like I didn't get into this. You know what I mean? And so like, uh-huh. that's why they want her killed. <laughs> and then Alice, of course, in the end, like not only like, like first of all, with all of her inspirational life coaching wins over the assassins so that they mm-hmm. don't kill her. And then together they win over the bosses who who put a price on her head in the first place, and they all live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I really like the idea that she has like she has this she has influence, but isn't mm. necessarily somebody who's doing things herself as much. Okay, yeah. So idea. So uh, so landing back on the find themselves making. So they 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 don't intend to do this. So I'm wondering. Are there five assassins? And one of them talks them out of it. Mm. And then they realize only after how big a deal it is. And that they may have just changed, you know, everything <laughs> and let this person back. And then you have, you know, the the other bosses showing up, or I don't know, like there's something about maybe maybe like that they agree to let her go without without realizing what it's gonna mean. Right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, so yeah. like after the turn. Basically, yeah. after and they have to deal with all happens. of the uh, consequences yeah. of them saying no to the job. Oh, yeah. you mean like saying like of not killing their target. Of right? not killing their target. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm stuck on the find themselves making <laughs> mm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. because again we're we're you know there's something about that that suggests unintentional or oh, or un, unwilling like that they were kind of pulled into this and didn't didn't do mm-hmm. it fully and it's a surprise. Choosing, it is yeah. a surprise. Yeah. So and that's besides the a golden retriever puppy, what <laughs> other things would surprise like hardened assassins? Right. I mean, I feel like I would be surprised if I like, I mean, we talked about one scenario where they're all sort of assigned to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that would be a surprise. I don't feel like yeah. you're often assigned to kill another assassin who simultaneously is trying to kill you. Right. Well, that happened to Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah, that like I, we, we have four, so I guess it's more like a conga line. It's two couples yeah. together. Mr. and Mrs. and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith go on a couple's vacation to Monte Carlo. <laughs> that's the one piece that like can't lock in for me. <laughs> it's figuring out what is this? What does this find themselves making? And yeah, maybe maybe it is that they're maybe they're told that Alice Malkin is each other, mm. <laughs> and then they're all like, "No, that's not me." Mm-hmm. Maybe Alice Malkin is someone that they all knew from from their own lives and were completely like flabbergasted that she was here connected to any of them, that let could alone be all of them. Like maybe it's, you know, you know yeah, mm-hmm. like my best friend's grandmother from next door or something. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like she was my babysitter or, growing up or Right. <laughs> and then being like, what? And they're all like, wait, we all have these weird ties to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. That's the piece that's just not fallen into place for me yet. I mean, maybe it connects. I mean, like We've sort of taken the setting for granted, but yeah. maybe maybe there's something there where like 
the get like if if that opening scene has our four assassins in some form like effectively gambling what <gasps> if what if whatever whatever the game yeah. is that they're playing actually like yeah. impacts the plot right like like i don't know like i mean this is like obviously yeah. not the right idea but like you know you're flipping over cards and there are faces on them and mm-hmm. people don't you know like like that's somehow part of their assassination plot. But like, I could see that yielding surprise because you have this like weird chance encounter that goes on to like shape the rest of the story. Right. Well, and I like the idea of linking it to a gambling thing because there could be a a, a compulsion to that in some way. So how interesting Ah. would it be if somehow the, the part of the, part of the the plot was to have a certain person win and one or two of Ah. the assassins cannot keep themselves from, from going all in on it. (laughs) And the others are like, stop it, stop it. We we don't want to find ourselves making an unthinkable sacrifice. You're supposed to let Alice win. (laughs) So like, how, so like they're all kind of in on the ride and they can't say anything about it because then obviously mm. that gives the game away. But there's there's this one assassin who just cannot just they're they're control they have no control over themselves there. I like that. That's a good one. That's a That's, good one. That would be kind of fun. Okay. Okay. You know, with that, we're gonna say we're closing that tiny loophole that was freaking me out. <laughs> Maybe not any of our listeners at all. <laughs> We're right at time. So listeners, we have a lot of pieces in this that we can still pull together. I still want to know more details about the assassins. I want to know about this game. I want to know how Alice Malcolm plays into it. Is this all a one room story? Do we get mm-hmm. flashbacks? Send me your, your character descriptions of these assassins and how they're all different. I would love to hear those. And uh, we'll have to share those on the podcast and on our social media if you send anything. Awesome. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's transition into our segment where we recommend something. I'm going to recommend a book that I actually just finished reading and then <laughs> reached out to the author and uh, he also agreed to be on the podcast. So uh, I will recommend Elliot's book Bandwidth, <laughs> but I'll let him plug that himself in a little bit. But I also want to recommend The Constant Rabbit by Jasper Ford. Ford. Uh, two Fs at the beginning of Ford. It's this weird story about there was a, an event in which several animals suddenly became uh, humani- humanoid, anthropomorphized. And it's now years later, and they're all kind of like integrating into society. <laughs> and so it's about specifically the relations between rabbits and humans. And it's very, it's very funny, but it's also got a lot of uh, emotion to it. And I found myself really drawn into the story. It was my, my favorite book I read last month. It was just a constant surprise and really, really delightful. So if you haven't checked it out, the, the Constant Rabbit by Jasper Ford was a ton of fun. Bethany, I'm going to ask you to uh, recommend something that you'd like to our listeners that they should check out if they haven't. Okay. I've had um, a couple of, th- this is something I haven't read in like the, in like the last two months or so, but I haven't had anything I've really obsessed with recently. So I'm going to go with the book series I reread a couple of months back. It's the, I don't know what it's officially called, but I'm going to call it the Shopaholic series by Sophie Kinsella. The first book is, um, mm. Confessions of a Shopaholic, which was made into a movie, which is a lot of fun. But I read the series a couple of years ago and then bought a, several of them and reread it recently. And um, it's just, it's a very funny series. It, the main character, uh, Becky Bloom, I think I'm mixing her up with the character from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because they've got similar names. <laughs> but uh, I think it's Bloomwood. She's super spunky and she's a lot of fun, but she gets herself in a lot of trouble all the time because Dude, her biggest thing in the movie is is shopping and getting herself in debt, and then she just takes her 
you know, her bills and hides them under the bed and forgets about them and chooses to ignore them. But she deals with a lot of different things and she's always lying to get out of situations or to avoid, you know, getting herself in trouble. And it just builds and builds and builds. And if you're somebody who has like a lot of anxiety for like social stress, (laughs) this would maybe not be the book for you because there is a lot of that. But it always ends very happily by the end. She where everything works out really well. And she's very creative, very spunky. She's got a lot of hearts. I laugh out loud multiple times when I'm reading this series. And it's just, it's just a good modern, everyday kind of comedy series that it's it was it's very quick reading for me. And um, I just really like her as a character. And it's got a, fu- a couple yeah. of fun things where she is in every book. She's always writing all these letters to like different businesses and trying to get out of debt or trying to give excuses <laughs> for these kinds of things. But we never see the letters. We only ever see the people returning responses and they're always quoting what she said and say well we're sorry but we can't you know get out of this debt just because you thought it was really necessary to buy this dress or whatever and (laughs) that's just Uh a fun quirk in the series to see it as it goes on so i'm gonna recommend that for something fun yeah absolutely all right elliot you get to recommend something as well what do you think our listeners should check out so this is a new favorite it's a a novel i just finished and i absolutely loved it. I adored it. And I also think that if you listen to this specific podcast, this is uh, the book for you for for this summer. So it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. And it's about two game designers. And it follows them from when they're like kids growing up in L.A., And then, you know, as they sort of move around the country and the whole story tells uh, how they how they make games together over the course of their Mm. lives. And the wonderful thing about this novel is that it it really lets you inside both of these two friends, hearts and minds as they're going through the creative process. And Mm. I have never read a novel that dramatizes a creative partnership in Mm. such a compelling, moving, inspirational, and thoughtful way. So I think that if you like stories, (laughs) and then you also listen to a podcast where you're sort of like (laughs) seeing people live, like trying to create stories together, boy, like this, this novel is like right up your alley. Like it really lodged in my heart. I, I, uh, I adored it and I won't be forgetting it anytime soon. That sounds awesome. I have never Mm. heard of this. I will definitely have to add it to my read list because that sounds awesome. Before we go, Elliot, we want to make sure that you can uh, plug any of your own stuff. So social media or website or current projects, whatever you want us to know about. Where can we find you? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm easy to find. If you Google my name, Elliot Pepper, everything will pop up and you can find everything you need on my website. I'm, uh, I send a reading recommendation newsletter that if you liked those recommendations, the three of us were just giving, (laughs) you'd probably enjoy it. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And uh, if you like, my books are definitely my best work. And my latest book, it has a funny connection to the story we were all just inventing, because there are many different threads in this book, and, and it weaves together five different characters' stories. But one fun thing in the book is that there's actually a on-demand assassins from ah. a blockchain murder market. So they're sort of like, uh, <laughs> like I was sort of like remembering aspects of the of Reaper, which is the book's uh-huh. title, as we were as we were riffing today. 
We just need one of the characters to be named Alice Melkin now. Exactly, exactly. And like, sadly, there aren't any puppies in it. But (laughs) next time, next time. Next time, next time. (laughs) All right. Well, that is our episode. As a reminder, you can find us every other Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for some bonus material. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WriteThisPod or on Facebook slash SomebodyWriteThis. And if you've been inspired by this episode and have questions or comments or story or anything else, email us at SomebodyWriteThis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, and we'll see you then. As they say, a chief will not die with bracelets on his arms. (laughs) 